You are listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded territory of the Musqueam people on UBC's Point Grey campus. And I am joined by a panoply of people here today, including... Me, Ashley Park. Our new uh, reporter, uh, Tatiana Povoroznik. Mm -hmm. And our guest, Brendan Taylor, who is currently uh, working on a series regarding the creation of probably one of the most iconic characters in history. And it is Wonder Woman. Superman. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> How you doing? I was wondering which way to go with that joke. It's like Batman or <laughs> Wonder enough. Woman. Yeah. Like which Close one enough. makes the best. Funny thing, they are making a movie about the creation of uh, Wonder Woman, eh? Uh, they already did, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They already uh, did. It already came out. The, so the, the the wonderful woman of William Marston. Yeah. Like that, that. There was a weird wrong. guy. But, uh, yeah, was, that's a very interesting guy. That's a whole other topic. But uh, that's that's he's a very interesting Dude, for sure. And uh, you're a UBC alumnus. I uh, actually am. Grad uh, 2005. Can you tell us which uh, programs, what you were involved in when Uh, you were here? Yeah, I was in the arts uh, program here. Um, Mm -hmm. I did a victory lap. Um, I I started in 2000, (laughs) and um, I took an extra year instead of the four. I did five years because I did a um, – my third year I lived on exchange uh, in Paris, actually. Oh, wow. To be fair, Mm -hmm. UBC's motto probably should be five is the new four. Yeah, pretty much, I guess, yeah. I'm I mean, I, I, I could have pushed it maybe, but I was just, uh, you know, I, I would just want to take a bit more time. And when I was in Paris, I was able to take some really cool courses mm-hmm. that were not maybe in line with any kind of, you know, program here. So, um, yeah, that was a really, really awesome experience for sure. Did that prompt your uh, seeing into acting? Um, well, I did acting all through high school. Um, mm-hmm. I was in French immersion, um, uh, Sentinel Secondary, West Vancouver. Um, and, uh, acting, I was a very shy kid, but I, I, I stuck through acting and I, it was always something I wanted to do, but I didn't think it was something that was possible that it, it was mm-hmm. just like more like a creative thing, but not like a possibility of but like a, a business, a right? career. Like yeah. it just like the world of Hollywood and stuff just seems so far away, you know, especially I, um, I grew up, my, my mother, uh, works and still works in film, mm-hmm. uh, in the art department side. So, um, so when I came to UBC, I started just sort of taking electives, um, sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But every, almost every semester, I took uh, one elective that was theater related yep. or acting related. Yeah, sort of playing into your 
wheelhouse there. Yeah, it was just something that I was always there. I didn't. I I did apply for the BFA yep. theater, and I didn't didn't get it. I don't think I was ready for it. I just I feel like I, there's a tape of me doing a, my play in, in grade twelve. We did the real Inspector Hound by Tom Stoppard, which is for some reason always done in high schools. It's very mm-hmm. like not age appropriate at all, but <laughs> people do it anyways. Well, um, like reading, waiting for Godot has an erotic asphyxiation. Yeah, joke in it. maybe not the best thing in high school. I don't know, but <laughs> it was uh, it was scientifically a, true. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a really fun um, play. I had so much fun, but um, watching this play, this tape mm-hmm. back, I'm like this kid has no idea what he's doing it's sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad but he has no idea what he's doing so i end up doing a one semester one course every term every other term mm-hmm. in theater um sort of keeping that alive in my last year at ubc i took an acting class outside of, off campus um on the north shore and um i just sort of finally felt like yeah this is this is what i'm gonna do now but, i have a question about your mother you said she's working in film in the art department mm. is you were working originally as well as in acting as a set dresser yeah that's right yeah and the reason i bring that up is because according to your bio one of your first credits was the wicker man that's correct yes <laughs> the movie yeah. with nicholas cage that is correct not the, the bees not the, the bees the bees okay. they're in my eyes ah. okay that sounds yeah. like nixon yeah uh, <laughs> something like that yeah um yeah i'm i i've said it before i'm very proud to have worked on one of the Harold is one of the worst films of all time of the modern era. Um, it was, it is terrible. It looked great from the art department standpoint. You can't deny <laughs> just, that. <laughs> um, no. Did you have a part in um, building the actual Wicker Man? Uh, no, that is a construction uh, department, but that was a challenge. Um, oh, there's so many little stories about that, but they built the huge one on Bowen Island. They shot, we shot mm-hmm. mostly on Bowen Island. So mm-hmm. On Bowen Island, every day for like six weeks, taking this truck on there and like spending time on Bowen Island during the summer, like. Anyone, it's got to know it's so beautiful. Um, but, yeah, they, they built um, the real one there, and they rigged it so that it, when it caught on fire, the head fell. Uh, there's a bunch of rumors about how the head fell on a camera that was <laughs> armored, but that just melted through the armor and, like, destroyed a camera. Um, <laughs> but they for the close-up stuff of Nicolas Cage burning in the cage, it was on a say, stage somewhere. They built a head and shoulders of this thing. And I remember being trapped in the stage one time when they were shooting him burning alive. It was very awkward. Just Nicolas Cage burning alive. Was, uh, well, the connection to Nick Cage is interesting because he's... Know, we're talking about that. Yeah. He's apparently a huge comics fan. That's actually where he yeah. gets... He used to be Nick Coppola, but he's also... Right. And you yourself are also a big comics fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you're playing Jerry Siegel, right? That's correct, yeah. So um, Jerry Siegel... Does it, does it translate? Are there any fanboy moments there? Definitely. I mean, it's, it is... Um, I didn't get to play a superhero when he meant. So <clears throat> from that aspect, it wasn't, you know, uh, that, you know, being able to live through that. But uh, being definitely being a part of, of the Superman um, story was really cool. So it's the show is called uh, on AMC called AMC's Visionaries, Robert Kirkman's Secret History of Comics. And this episode is called The Trials of Superman. So uh, it aired two weeks ago, a week and a half, maybe last week. I remember now. Um, anyways, they've already aired the Wonder Woman episode. Uh, it's about William Marston, and this one was about mm-hmm. uh, specifically Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, and and them spending decades, like most of their life, in litigation, trying to earn the rights and recognition for having created the most iconic character of all time. Apparently, in the show, aside from like I think the Holy Cross and the swastika, 
the Superman shield is like the third most like recognizable, recognizable symbol. universal symbol in the world, which is really? crazy to think about. Something like that. I, I could be wrong, but it's somewhere. And they talk about it in the episode. So that's um, you now it's interesting you mentioned the swastika because when it came out, uh, Superman was called a fascist, and actually mm. I, I saw a lot of that also when Batman v Superman came out. Yeah. With considering that it was the invention of of two Jewish guys around the time when this was coming up, mm-hmm. and the various interpretations the characters taken since then, where does that criticism land from from your perspective? Um, is there something valid to it, or is it just way off base? I think that that might have had to do with their initial struggles for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, uh, it was it was nineteen thirty eight thirty nine, I believe that they they first um, submitted the, the cartoon. Um, the short, the strip rather of, of Superman. So um, that I could have very well played into it, but to be honest, I, they don't touch on that a lot in this show. It's more about um, it was more about a, a big conglomerate, a big business like Action Comics or DC and whatever they were mm-hmm. actually called at the time, versus these two guys who you know they sold the rights to this for one hundred and thirty dollars or something at the time. Um, and in exchange, oh. they were n- the DC just going to own this and and did whatever they wanted, and, and it took them uh, years and years to to uh, to get even acknowledge that they were the ones who created this. So that's like yeah. how Stephen Foster, uh, his life's work probably went for about the equivalent of five grand today across the board. And yeah, he wrote the American Songbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's a yeah, it's a very interesting sort of thing, and and. And frustrating for them for sure they ended up going you'll see in the episode if you get to mm-hmm. to watch it it's um <clears throat> they go back and, and you know end up working for dc like um i think joe works sort of in the lower rungs and so does jerry as a writer but he just kind of gets shut down and uh it's very sad and the climax of the episode is them basically um they they eventually got um recognized there was a push from the public mm-hmm. and they made it sort of well known and um in the uh, the credits, the opening credits of 1978's uh, Superman, the movie, um, they uh, it says create, Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. So that's really kind of what they late, were. Huh? Yeah, that's that was the uh, moment that they finally like these guys were the ones who actually did it. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. And what I I guess with uh, one thing I think of with Superman is Jerry Seinfeld actually kind of because he's he's a huge fan. There's a reference to mm. Superman in every Seinfeld episode. Apparently, mm. I haven't checked this. Hmm. A lot of people like to interpret that character. And do you think that from the perspective of the people who created it, that was something intentional, or they just thought this is a this is a character who serves a purpose. This is someone we want to see, or this is someone that the world needs. Yeah, I mean. Um... I think that's sort of what made it so um, successful. First of all, I mean, pretty much every artist um, puts something of himself in the thing that they're making, and that was um, that they tried sort of to write the Superman character before that as a bad guy, um, and it didn't really work. And really, they, yeah, like early, early on, was this like bald guy? He looked. He was actually more like Lex Luthor, <laughs> um, uh, and then they tried it again as this sort of this the angle of of being an alien living among humans wanting to fit in and like like don't make me use my power because i you know but i you know but i'm trying to more like restraints right yeah the restraint understanding yeah instead of going right to violence exactly yeah Yeah. it was more like that yeah with great power comes great responsibility i think we've heard that i guess (laughs) i guess in view of that what's your opinion on henry cavill's sort of dc superman that's yeah, I'm, you know, I, 
Yeah, I I, I still sort of find it. I think he's well cast. I think you you need that. I think why why? Oh, I don't think the person- problem is Henry Cavill. Oh, you mean the actual the character himself? Sort or? of. Yeah. You, you I, mean like the the Snyderverse? Well, so I I don't feel again. I, Zack Snyder isn't a person I like ragging on because I think he's a he's a good visual director. I just think he doesn't know what to do with a story. Mm. But with this uh, a hero like Henry Cavill, and this becomes very clear with Batman v Superman, is that they make Superman into a character resembling Christopher Nolan's Batman, like with the mm. this dark backstory. And yeah. that's particularly strange when Superman, for better or for worse, is supposed to be this moral baseline. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be a relatively uncomplicated character. Yeah. And with that sort of attempt to complicate that character, to make someone who has this... A, a, tragic story really mm-hmm. there's do, do you think that sort of misses the point especially being familiar with the original intent of the writers the the way it's evolved yeah i think I it's sort of it moves with the times kind of thing i think uh i i prefer the sort of christopher reeve version of i, I felt mm-hmm. it was more relatable and i think some of the i just loved his comedy more i think like he's actually a very funny guy like as as uh as Clark Kent, like yeah, uh, you, I I liked that a bit more. It seems a bit more human than like these. The newer movies are just a little more out of reality, I guess. Or it's, so, it's, it's a version. Like, uh, in Batman v Superman, I remember like he flies into Mexico to save a building, burning building, and everyone's like Superman. He's like, shall save you momentarily. Pose, pose. <laughs> yeah. Pose. Yeah, Henry yeah. Cavill's perfect jawline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Chris for Reeve just <laughs> done. Yeah, exactly. Christopher Reeve was like was for the time was like physically huge. Oh, but yeah. he was like very human. Like it was like a guy who had like worked out a lot. Versus like, Henry Cavill's like, you know, cut <laughs> like you know, perfectly. Like, and, you know, the sort of modern expectation of. of I, know, I believe physical. the the word some people use to describe the concept of male beauty being pushed currently is spornosexual. Yeah, I've I've heard that. Yeah, like uh, uh, with. With that for Superman, I gotta ask, especially <coughs> recently, I think this became relevant with Superman. What about the uh, later Superman movies, three and four? Do you have an opinion on those? Oh, because um, those got really weird. Yeah, I to be honest, to be totally honest, it's been a while since I I saw those. It's kind of it was kind of like when you had all the Rocky movies that sort of kept going on. Yeah, and on. like the original ones are always kind of better, and and I think just like everything, sort of doing spinoffs to for financial gain that sort of feels like that they, they lose a bit of of the original like for me for example like uh, austin powers is like one of my favorite movies like the first one but the sequels i'm not as big a fan of because like the first one was the baby was the the original brainchild and mm-hmm. from there they kind of split off and sort of capitalize on things that worked and didn't work and or like it's how different family guy sort of became anti-humor the series yeah after after yeah. four seasons a little bit yeah i, I sort of sh- dropped like, away from that show like it's just <laughs> just ex- like you'll have like mm-hmm. an actually funny joke and peter will like go eh, that's because he's racist or something and it'd be like <laughs> yeah. yes that was that was the joke that, yeah that was it let's foreground yeah. that a little more yeah or, and so another another sort of question that kind of comes up a lot when you talk about like creators' rights, especially in comics, with with guys like Steve Ditko mm. uh, on about that, uh, is would sort of the aim of this story, in consideration, be to open that discussion? Because that is obviously it's forty years of one's life spent over this iconic character. Yeah, it is. I guess 
one, do you think it would be a good idea to question sort of the origins of these iconic characters? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm glad that this show exists for that. I mean, so it's, I guess, produced by Robert Kirkman, um, oh. creator of uh, creator of The Walking Dead, yeah. um, you know, sort of. Um, so I th- obviously these other stories are, you know, the creation of Wonder Woman and, and Marvel Comics is another one. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember some of these others. Um, uh, there's another series that's like, I think it's Eli Roth's like horror stories and origins and stuff like that. Um, I think it's, I think nowadays people like are. Like Queens? Something like that? Uh, I, I can't quite remember. But um, I just think now, nowadays people are more um, keen to learn the, the in-depth thing that we can see. You know, the in behind stuff, the fandom sort of mm-hmm. goes deeper now. Be with social mm-hmm. media and and things like that, we can find out more details about things. So, but I think it's important to. It's so easy to be sort of immediate gratification nowadays with things without you don't have to think about where they came from. They just are there. So I think it's important to if you want call yourself a true fan to like really mm-hmm. know deeply like where it all comes from. And I think this this sort of thing. Story that all you got to know all the bumps and bruises. It's not like it wasn't a perfect story. Yeah. On the flip side of that, is it is that what's to what degree do you think it's necessary or unnecessary to separate the creation from the creator? Um, because this this discussion comes up a lot when we're talking about like especially now with Kevin Spacey with Louis I think C. it's K. more about like right. character and actor though for uh creation for a quote unquote creation like a comic. Mm. I guess that's why that's how we want to like know have your input on too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, sort of. There's the creation, the Superman, the creators, and then there's me playing in the creators. Yeah. So there's layers, the level, man. the layers, the uh, mm-hmm. the inception moment here. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I guess what was the question again? <laughs> what we're getting at that? It's kind of like, um, you know, how can we separate creator from creation? Can we not? Because you is did that mention, is that necessary? To yeah. I, mm. I think that is there's the always like a part of you know an artist self in the work. it's true yeah same with like michael jackson's music and then his sort of allegations towards him and his personal life yeah mm-hmm. I, I sort of see mm-hmm. me i mean it's it's i, I think if they're always going to be tied together you, you kind of um you can choose to be ignorant i guess is the only kind of option because like you you it's the information is there it's tied to it um but i i, I think it i think it stands it can stand on its own um with still kind of like knowledge and acknowledgement of you know what the creator stance was when creating like the character or the work of art right yeah i think you still need to acknowledge because like you could just be you could be ignorant and just you know see some piece of art or a show and and then find out that it was made by this horrible person and did all the and you're like oh but i still liked it and so i mean uh it's a tough call but I, I think it's you can't help sort of your instinct and your impulses when it comes to how you view something um then it's just morality that comes in and should i tell anyone that I like this or whatever <laughs> yeah so I, I i guess with um with superman with that this sort of upright character when you're when you're talking about the creators of this, how is that dynamic played out in the show? Does the show sort of aim like this is how Superman was created, or these guys created Superman? Is it about the the product or the, the, um, the process? It's yeah. more about mm-hmm. the guys themselves. They, they talk a bit about how he was created because mm-hmm. um, 
it really, like I said, so you see the artists and, and all the creations. It, it was and the struggle I, that they it was went through to get their work acknowledged. Yeah, it, yeah, but it was these these sort of nerdy, quiet guys who, who mm-hmm. created this sort of type of person that they might dream of being. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, sort of that sort of incognito person who's like powerful from the. I mean, they Superman really was the first superhero. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's really more about these guys and, and their struggle. And, and But it is interesting how, uh, you know, the fight for truth, justice in the American way, which is the super truth and justice, rather, uh, was ended up being their same fight. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what Superman fights for, and they wanted truth and justice for themselves. And if which, we want to see this play out, where can we find the show? Uh, the show, it has already aired on AMC. Um, it is The show, again, is called AMC's Visionaries. Robert Kirkman's Secret History of Comics, and my episode is called The Trials of Superman. Um, it's already aired, but you might be able to find it online uh, if you have a cable package mm-hmm. um, or some other, however people watch things nowadays. Hulu? <laughs> Netflix? Right. Netflix, maybe, eventually. Yep. Eventually, eventually, probably. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But, yeah. All right, excellent. Well, it was great to have you into the yeah. show, and uh, we'll check it out. Cool. Um, now uh, there will be a word from our sponsor. Uh, before we ret- before we return, we're going to have Tatiana's thoughts on the visual art installation and our review of Seasons. See you soon. Ever heard of Pitch Perfect? UBC Acapella can sing on harmony in cue. Made up of 100 members across four choirs, the student-led club regularly performs on and off campus. Check out UBC Acapella on Facebook for more information regarding their Aka Amazing end-of-term concerts. Discorder, that free magazine from CITR, has been documenting the best in music, arts, and culture since 1983. Let's see what one man over stage has to say about Discorder. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Dogg, and I fucks with Discorder magazine. How about that? (laughs) Smokey every day. Pick up a copy around Vancouver or f*** with Discorder online at discorder.ca. Thousands of opinions are at our fingertips. But are all opinions informed? Does your information have a source? Is your social feed based on fact? Only facts can uncover the truth. Professional journalists are committed to balanced and non-partisan reporting, to independent commentary. They cut through the spin to give you the information and perspective you need. Journalism is essential to democracy, a watchdog over the powerful, an independent voice. Journalism is more important than ever. Well, that's a startling truism, journalism yep. being more important than ever. Mm-hmm. That's odd, though, you know, when you when you think about it, because there's this weird polarity with the field as is in a lot of media right now 
There is. And if you're wondering, who are we and why, what are we talking about? We are the Arts Report. Oh, yeah. On uh, CHDR 505.7 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Tsleil-Waututh territory of SFU in Kitsilano. No, that's not right. No, that's not right. No. We, are CHDR, we are the Arts Report, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of the UBC campus at Point Grey. 101.9 FM. In Vancouver. <laughs> and we are joined by a first-time correspondent uh, on the show proper, Tatiana Povoroznik. Yes, that is my name. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> and you are here to tell us about some amazing visual art. Yes, um, I went to see an exhibit called Afterlives featuring Germ- Germaine Coe and Aaron Louis Cohen. Um, and that's at the Orr Gallery, which is 555 Hamilton Street. Um, yeah, so... It's a little weird to approach visual arts on an inherently non-visual medium. Yes, very odd. (laughs) But we're going to try our best here. What what was the installation sort of about? What was the pitch? Um, The pitch was kind of materials and synthetic goods and technology and how they intrude into our lives, Um, kind of repositioning some materials such as like worn out car tires that you would find on like the side of a highway and kind of repositioning Mm. them in new ways. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of asking questions about the, all the things that are in our lives, like all the physical materials. Yes. Did you leave it questioning that? Um, <laughs> I think I did. I thought it was very interesting how they kind of, for example, one of the works was called Roadkill, and it was these pieces of tire kind of mounted to the wall as if they were, um, as if they were like... Like a trophy? Like a trophy, yeah. Like, like an of, animal like head kind of like thing, a taxidermy. right? Yeah. Taxidermy thing. Yeah, so it's very mm-hmm. much kind of bringing to life these kind of dead objects that we just um, kind of exist on the outskirts of. The, so, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, so that's that's the general character of it. Would you say it was mostly found objects or...? Um, yeah, it was very much found objects. Oh. It was... Um, there was a TV that was taken apart, a telephone... Um, yep, yeah. a lot of technology that we, that you would th- usually throw away was kind of brought in. Yeah, so there were also underlying tones of kind of environmentalism mm-hmm. um, and repurposing objects. Yeah, <laughs> yes. To to help rather than damage the uh, environment. Yeah, that's. Fair. Yeah, yeah. I found that kind of central. Um, one of the one of the works was um, kind of melted down plastic that was made to look like. Um, uh, made to look like edible objects, like cupcakes. Okay. Um, hmm. Yeah. So it's just it's I just. I kind of like that 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 though. It's kind of like this like entire like you know you're eating trash sort of thing, <laughs> and you and the and the things that you eat will become like you know trash, and then that kind of thing. That idea of like consumerism. Yeah. You know, tied with the imagery of food and yeah. our own like need to like feast and hunger. So yeah. Yeah, and it's just kind of the movement of things. Into... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess, well, what I kind of thought of immediately was, is it sort of like the fight club thing? Like things you own end up owning you? Is that kind of. I would of say it? I would say that was a very dominant theme. Um, yeah, it's just very much human interaction. Um, one of the, another interesting thing was they, re- uh, they repurposed old t-shirts. Oh, okay. Um, they, through some, they documented the process. Both artists worked collaboratively on this. They documented the process. They kind of tore the t-shirts into little bits and then used the fibers to create paper and the paper was then used um, in an interactive exhibit where people who would come into the gallery could write on the postcards and send them to people. Oh, that's <laughs> so, cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, that'd be interesting to do, like, an art exhibit of something, seeing the various iterations you can do with the basic fiber of something. Yeah. Like cotton from from fabric to paper to maybe something more solid to maybe even, I don't know what you could necessarily do with it, but, like, wood pulp, like, you can... I mean, like, the very basis of a mill wall brick is that newsprint can be, if you roll it up tight enough, basically wood. I think that's something interesting about the constituent materials. Yeah, huh. it's it's really questioning, like, what uh, what are the things that we see every day made of and how, um, how do they move through our lives? How are they thrown away? And what mm-hmm. can we do about it? Yeah. And uh, did they propose specifically a solution or was it, like, just state this on your own? I would say it was more of an open-ended question Mm -hmm. than anything. Were the artists present? The artists were actually present when I was there just because they were were filming something. (laughs) So I did get to speak to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Very nice people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very uh, high, very high level ideas (laughs) that they talked about. Yeah. So they, okay, fair enough. Uh, And if any of our listeners want to find this exhibition, when's it it running and uh, where can they do that? Um, for sure. So it's the Or Gallery, which is on 555 Hamilton Street, which is down Vancouver East Side. Um, and the show runs the, from the 25th of November to the 3rd of February. Um, and I believe the gallery is open um, Tuesdays to Saturdays, fi- uh, 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. It's in the downtown East Side, eh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's across from Vancouver Community College. It's actually a hard building to find, oh, coincidentally. Yeah, I walked I know, by it five I where, times. I know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. It is the gallery have, like, uh, is there bars in front of it? The, uh, is there a bar gate? Yeah, I think so. Uh, if, if it was, I, it's next to some kind of hostel. Uh-huh. Okay, so that might have been uh, last year for uh, the end of, I think it was MTT or Players had an end-of-the-year mm. party, I think, at this same gallery. Oh. It's a small gallery. Yeah, right? it's very small. Very small, small. space. White walls. It's yes. pretty, like, most galleries have white walls. Has a floor, yeah, roof. Yeah, yeah. Generally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, if I recall correctly, we had the la- end of the party there in your gallery, and I it's walked there. It's a good, good space, intimate, would you say? It's a very intimate space. It's a mm-hmm. nice gallery space. Like, if you want, it, it'd be a good space for, like, a single art exhibition, because mm-hmm. it would, especially if the artists were present, it'd give you a great feel mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's free. Um, it's free? Yep. Definitely free admission. Head on down right. with your friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank and, you, Tatiana. Uh, Thank you. you <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Now, um, I guess our next review, we got to talk about seasons. Let's talk about seasons. So uh, I went to seasons uh, on the weekend. Yep. And uh, a magical musical. Yes, it was. It was a generally a pretty good time um, there. And now, so this is the interesting part. We had Rod and Wendy in, uh, and they talked about um, the music and magic the, and the genesis of what they what yeah. they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it all the influences that came from her life and how she wanted to incorporate. You know, there are things like live music and magic, yeah. uh, like an actual like live live magic show. So the uh, the music, the, as a chamber piece and as a dance piece, mm-hmm. it starts off doing that almost immediately. The magic only appears in the end of the second act. The oh, first really? Act, the end of the first act, sorry. And consistently throughout the second. Like, once the magic shows up, there's a lot of it. And what they did to really show that, and this helped a lot because it's a, big, it's a fairly large theater. Yeah, big so, theater. 
what they did is they had a camera and a projected screen so you could see between the two. Oh, that kind of gives me like a Las Vegasy feel. A little bit. Yeah. And uh, uh, Rod's outfits got progressively more fabulous. <laughs> like he started out, he showed up really briefly at the start of it, and you couldn't see him because he's wearing like a hat and a trench coat. What looks like one of the Ninja Turtles when they go into Manhattan. <laughs> really. Like the hat and trench coat disguise. <laughs> yep. But um, he he to accept a flower which he later gives back. Spoilers yeah. a little bit. Um, but then uh, when he shows up later, like, gradually he gets, like, a full yellow suit. Wow. And then in the end he's got, like, this black, shiny, spangled suit. And it was it was terrific. Like, it was – you got a real sense of his craft and his showmanship there. And his timing was excellent. Like, the timing was very spontaneous to what he was doing mm-hmm. with the dancers and with audience participation to the point where – because chamber music – is not jazz. Like, it's not like you improvise based on the no. action you're seeing. Like, they're working from charts. I was like, this is really well rehearsed. This is something Did that is Did you feel like made... it flowed without having any sort of, like, break in between the action and the music? It it, it, it seemed jarringly per- skilled in that regard. Nice. Because, like, it, a couple of times, like, because a magic show is supposed to be spontaneous, you know, when you get the audience participation, yeah. and it was. Because it's liveness. But at the same time, the music is going on, and none of it is... In- not is unsynchronous is that a word Un- uh, it is now yeah to what was going on like i was very impressed by that uh as a as a chamber music piece um there are the weaknesses there's two songs in it okay one of which is sung by a very small girl and the other one is sung by a women's five part vocal harmony neither one is bad but they're not a particularly strong vocals mm. and they're pretty general in terms of lyrics. Got it. Um, so it didn't really um, that scan was, its own. That was a weak point to the show. Um, if, if there was a, a weak point. There was a lot of the endearing, the, the, some of the visuals were really endearing, though, with uh, the little girl at the beginning gets a violin, and in the end she gives her daughter a guitar. Faith gives her daughter a guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of, I thought that was really lovely. That was That was nice. Um, for the and Wendy gave a speech right beforehand talking about um, the genesis of the show and she told them basically the similar version of what she told us yeah. and how it's important to, to retain that um, so in that regard it is it, it's, it's a good chamber music piece like it's it's, gener- it, it's pretty solid like I, I um, my grade for chamber music is, is pretty high because it doesn't strike me as a inherently stimulating uh-huh. genre necessarily <laughs> got it um but with the magic show you get more focus on the presentation and that really draws you to it and just, does it kind of elevate the chamber music maybe? uh it, it's certainly again the synchronicity between the two is just really impressive the second you think about it mm-hmm. um so that yes to when, when you realize that's going on and um like like rod is he's really is a showman. He's a natural showman. Yeah, and when we when we had that. him in studio and he showed us that magic trick, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. It was really great. Yeah, he did some really amazing tricks, and I can't. It's hard to explain them because this is an auditory <laughs> medium. But like, it's like it, it, it like any great magic show, it leaves you wondering how did you do that. <laughs> it, it's, it's just. Um, Could you explain maybe one of the tricks that he did? Um. So he he made um. So he put an audience member into a box. Okay. And then took out pieces of the box like Jenga bricks. Got it. So you could see clean through. And then put them back and took the person out. The box was elevated off the floor, uh, so they couldn't have cut, got, come out through the bottom. Wow! I am still flabbergasted by it. Like it's it's certainly very it's that's some prestige stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somewhere Hugh Jackman's cloning himself now. That's right. <laughs> oh, spoiler. Um, 
trigger warning spoilers for The Prestige. <laughs> it is a great movie. It is actually a good movie. But um, yeah, like this is this would be especially good if you um. If you have, like, nieces or nephews or our kids, you know. Was it quite inspirational? I know that was Wendy lot... was talking about how this story was really uh, dear to our heart. Yeah, there were, a lot of, there were a lot of kids at the show. Mm. I th- and I think that it was – it's good for that. It's very – it's a broad show, but it yeah. is impressive mm-hmm. in execution. So I think that um, you could do worse than make the show into a family outing. If you're not into chamber music, uh, you're going to find it a little slow at the beginning. It it might drag. For How was the dancing? The dancing was generally good. Um, it kind stylistically, of stylistically. Um, stylistically, it was okay. Like, again, the it. thing about the dancing is that the magic is the most impressive. Magic is by nature eye catching yeah. to the point of distraction to anything else. So the dancing, I believe, was competent. But you know, it's it's not a, a show where you're having someone do like Cirque du Soleil feats of fitness because you know. Mm-hmm. Like, it's also a magic show. That's right. Like, y- you you can't have too much on there, because already chamber music is very bombastic, too. Mm-hmm. So that, I, I thought it was fine. I didn't, I don't, dance is not a field where I'm aware enough of it to technically evaluate that, especially the kind of dancing that they're doing, which is verging on, like, the dancing that most often accompanies chamber music is, like, ballet. Yeah, and ballet. I'm that's only a, or, like, waltzing. Yeah, like, a, a, that's only, like, scratching the surface, but it's that similar kind of staged uh, mm-hmm. dancing. So that, in and of itself, like, it was, it, it was, it was reasonably solid. I just, uh, dance doesn't usually catch my eye unless it's Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers doing it. Hmm. Uh, or, or Gene Kelly. I really like Gene Kelly. They're all dead. Uh... But yeah, uh, seasons good. It's a good family outing. It's a good. It's a good family show, especially with the Christmas season coming up. Like, mm-hmm. you could do worse than take your family to it. <laughs> it's true. I understand. It sounds like faint praise, but seriously, if you have small children, they're just gonna be wowed by the the magic. Mm-hmm. Like there was, I, I did distinctly hear um, uh, a, a small child in front of me go, "Mommy, did he hurt that woman?" When he's taking out the the Jenga blocks yeah. and the thing, he's like, "Cause like." Because your child, like, woman's in box, takes the piece out, like, that would logically take a piece of that person inside the thing, and it'd be like, I'm like, interesting, like, it's it sort of makes you think, like, because if you're a kid, you're like, you know, well, even if you're an adult, you're still wondering how he did that. If you're yeah. a kid, you're like, oh, it's magic, you know, mm-hmm. it's that sort of that sort of thing. Yeah, it, it would it would be, it it would be a good good outing mm-hmm. in that regard. Uh, sounds good. I, I'm glad that you got to see it and enjoy it. It uh, definitely sounds like uh, a big uh, crowd pleaser for those who are interested in going to go see it. I don't know if they are having another show. I know they definitely mentioned they had their November 25th. If people are interested, I would say to check out their website. Yep. Yeah, check it out. They might have had additional shows. Who knows? Just because it sounded like it was a big hit, especially with a lot of the you know people bringing their families. So if people are interested in that, it's called Seasons of Magical Musical. A Magical Musical, Musical. yeah. That's right. You know, the funny thing is that, um, so I, uh, there's a movie I saw recently called Christmas with a Capital C. It's a religious film. Okay. Uh, about Directed by who? I don't know. Uh, I don't care. Uh, it's about <laughs> the, the war on Christmas. You ever heard of that? Oh, yeah, the war on Christmas. People are getting, like, uh, a little bit, like, mad that, you know, people are saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, Well, right? it seems similar to the war on drugs in that it's a war. Like, the war on drugs, war on terror, war on drugs, war on Christmas. There's a continuum of the reality of the problem. And war on terror, reasonably real problem, arguably disproportional response. War on drugs. 
semi-real problem, disproportionate response. War on Christmas, unreal problem, non-existent problem, disproportionate response. Mm -hmm. And this is not a religious thing to me. Like, it's, it's that if someone tells me Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, I don't care. I say Merry Christmas. I'm an atheist. I celebrate Christmas. I'm an atheist. Like, that's, mm -hmm. that's the thing. That's the point where it's gotten in culture, and I have, I have no problem with that. And this thing is that the victimization that comes with that, um, in the States anyway, and in Canada it may be different, but in the States, the, you, can put up a, you can put up a Christmas tree or a, a manger. Like, you can put up the nativity because it's celebratory deism. Yeah. It's still legal, and if you're a government building, you can opt not to do that to, to stand for separation of church and state, which is in the Constitution. But it's something that, generally speaking, it's a non-entity. It's, it's something you do as a private conviction. It should be respected as that. Um, Christmas with a capital C makes a whole persecution, whatever, the with one of the lesser Baldwin brothers um, standing in for Alec as the villain. Okay. And... His thing is that he wants people to say season's greetings rather than Christmas. Okay. Because he's basically the Grinch. All right. So. Uh, so this, like, that's what I, th one thing I thought of when I Where went. Where did you see this? I, I saw, so I saw. Uh, right, I, It's the most, it's. it's I saw wow, a review of it fake. online and then I uh, you also were curious. found it online because. Okay. This is the thing. I do not speak badly of things I haven't seen. Okay, I yeah. have no reason to do that, and I don't like to do that either. No, no, and I, I'll give anything a shot. Uh, it's not the worst movie I've seen because I've seen Necromantic, but the thing is that it's exponentially better than Necromantic. Being yeah. kicked in the teeth is better than Necromantic, but um, the thing about a movie like Christmas with a Capital C yep. or another film which is Last Ounce of Courage, which is similar to it, uh, is that they're both films that I hear about around the holidays because I. Um, I, 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 th I think about religion a lot, and I, I talk about that in discourse. Mm -hmm. And I see occasionally at the fringe of this discourse this sort of this war and Christmas rhetoric coming around. And every time I, I, I'm, I'm astounded that it has enough traction to be that kind of a problem. Because there are – I remember having this conversation with Christine last year is that there are people, there are Christians around the world who do get beheaded for their beliefs. Mm -hmm. And if your problem within that discourse is the people asking you to t say season's greetings, who, again, if you're someone who says, oh, no, you should say season's greetings, not Merry Christmas, that's that's generally a person you might want to avoid. I just let people just, say whatever they want to me, unless it, it's kind of like a racial epithet or really mean. I go, yo, yo, yo. It doesn't. Check it. It doesn't. It like If someone says you Merry Christmas, I'm like, okay, Merry Christmas. I say Merry Christmas to people. There's it's It's an illusory problem. But that was one thing when I thought of, Exiting seasons, I thought of, oh, I'm amazed that there's no seasons greetings tagline. And then that got me thinking of, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think that's because of this, by the way. Got it. I would just, right. whenever All I think right. of I'll seasons refrain. greetings now, I think of like the the backlash against it. And the like fact that we're holidays. giving airtime to this compounds the problem. So I should probably go into a word from our sponsors. I just think happy holidays is the best one. Everyone loves a holiday. Yeah. It's true. It's true. It's true. We'll be back in a GIF. To discuss almost Maine and do some shoutouts. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news, as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. 
Welcome back to the Arts Report. I'm still Jake Clark. I'm still Ashley Park. And I'm still Tatiana Poverosniak. And we are still broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC Vancouver campus in Point Grey. Uh, and uh, what I want, what, what yeah. we have the review to close the show, sort of before we do some shout outs, uh, is. Uh, almost Maine. Yeah. And that's almost, comma, Maine. Not like almost isn't, this is pseudo the state of Maine. No, it's almost is an unincorporated township, allegedly. According to the play, I don't know if it's an actual real unincorporated township. Let me look that up in real time. Sure. For people who might want to go see it, I think it started on November the 24th. Is that right? Correct me if I'm wrong. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we saw it on, um, I saw it last Saturday. So mm -hmm. it's until December the 16th. Yep. Mm -hmm. And there's actually an artist talk back on December 1st, if you want to check that out. And um, I don't know if anybody here remembers the review of uh, Swordplay, the interview I did there. Uh, yes, yeah, I remember. I a, remember. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> with, all, with all the vanity. That was with the fringe. Yes. Um, now, Swordplay, I remember saying they had a guest member in the troupe, which is Peter Carlone. Carlone? Um, uh, whoever you are, sir, I liked your performance in both. So he was the... He was the one of the co-narrators of the Swordplay story, and he's also in Almost Maine. Now, Almost Maine has a basically four-part cast, and the, it's mm -hmm. a series of vignettes that bleed into each other around oh, this township. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, similar to Love Actually, except the stories. Yeah, I was aren't, gonna say it's very like Love Actually. Stories aren't the stories aren't concurrent though. The vignettes follow each other and never return. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, to the story. Um, and actually, no, that's not true. There's one vignette that bookends the show, which is very cute. Um, the so the idea of almost Maine that I it, I just I believe now Pacific is Pacific and Langara are the t are two venues in um, Vancouver thus far that I've always been impressed by to a degree. They always do a um, good diverse they, kind of like play. I feel well with uh, with Pacific like they did Corleone the music Corleone the Shakespearean Godfather mm -hmm. last year. Whether or not you found that to be a rollicking entertaining play. It was odd and unique. And we take, similarly, we take risks, yeah. This year they did uh, The Christians, which this year they've done a lot of uh, more religious play programming. I, I think it's, is, it's something that they do um, all the time, though. Well, they're part the, of a church. They're, yeah, they're, they're part attached of church. to a church. I don't That's blame them for that. And this, like, for those who might have thought from my previous rant l less than maybe five minutes ago that, oh, uh, Jake hates religious people. No, uh, uh, the Pacific's uh, religious uh, plays, whether or not they're from religious people have always impressed me and always spoke to the the many degrees that faith does take. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, The Lonesome West, which is written by Martin McDonough, who I probably wouldn't call a man of God, but always, especially with his native Catholicism, talks about the vagaries of it. Like, if you look at In Bruges, it could e easily be a story about purgatory. Mm. And with something like The Lonesome West, you have this father Welsh character who is a flawed person, but is also the only sane man in this violent and crazy part of the world. <laughs> and with Almost Maine, now Almost Maine is about as far away as the Lonesome West you can yeah. get. Because Almost Maine is, um, I want to, this is a positive comment, but it's not going to sound like it. It is white bread, but not wonder bread. It is. Mm. Um, Does it make you feel good though? It does. It is a very wholesome <laughs> play. Uh, it's a wholesome play uh, with, verges at times into straight up allegory. Okay. Um, for example, there's a great bit about literally unpacking all the love that's been given in a relationship. <laughs> um, and when that comes around, like it is not, 
there are passages that are slightly troubling. There's only one that actually ends badly. Um, but with a play like this, you can generally expect the person who made this um, found these vignettes and is able to, he strings them together. Cari- John Cariani, who wrote this, mm-hmm. strings these things together such that they do build, but the moods are disparate. And each vignette is very noticeably not tied to the other, which helps when you're using a cast of only four people. Um, how did and, they then? How did they achieve that? Do they do like character? Just like, just play multiple know, characters. Multiple characters. Um, Got it. Any costume changes? There were some, but a lot of them were using just remixes of the d- same costumes. Again, that's a testament to the writing and the the acting that it does work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was fairly. It was a little confusing at the start, but it, it worked. Um, once people got like, oh, okay, I know how to. Oh, yeah, once you realize that there's different vignettes, you're prepared for that, whether or not the vignettes are sequential or not. Mm-hmm. So that that is true about this, and this also like this touches me because I don't. I mentioned this before, but I really like Love Actually. It's something yeah. I have a soft spot for, you did. and I don't know if we talked about all the problems with Love Actually. Maybe last Christmas did we talk about that? I don't know if we talked all, uh, like too much about Love Actually. I think we kind of touched upon it, but we didn't really get too deep into it. Maybe if we have, um, uh, if we see something that's very, very much like Love Actually, we'll be able to contrast the two. Well, but this is in a way similar. Similar, uh, except th- this this is a lot more low key in scale and more disparate. Like Love Actually, again, I is... think Love Actually is more like a fluffy rom com kind of. Where this one has kind of like a religious undertone, right? No, not really. Oh, really? No, I'm, I, I, like, there's some minor things that that sort of thing. Like the guy who wrote this, probably religious. I don't think he probably put a lot of thought into that aspect of it. Got it. If he did, he didn't make it obvious, and it was never proselytizing. Okay. It was never theological, mm. which. Compared to the Lonesome West, which is theological but is also morbidly satirical in theology, mm-hmm. is is an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, the reason why I asked is last year I saw like a a Christmas play with. Uh, oh yeah, 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 the the um the, um <laughs> you stalkers out Tatiana, what was it? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm being sarcastic. No, no worries, Tatiana. I'm so worried right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, that I think with holy, holy, holy moly. Holy Mo? Holy Mo. Holy Mo. Holy Mo. High five me. Got it. Slap my hand. Good. All right. For all you stalkers out there, look up our, uh, look up the last episode and then immediately correct us. Yep. Please do, actually. I I want people to respond (laughs) to our stuff. Anyways. um, But yeah, so I kind of thought like all of them had that kind of undertone. That one was, that one was kind of like not really verging on allegory. It was like a rehash, but like modernized. That was also like a much more postmodern play. Yeah, it's kind of postmodern, but also very deeply religious kind of thing. Anyway, so how did you like Almost Made? I know that you had the different vignettes, and did it make you feel, though? Uh, it, 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 uh, there were some that did. There's mm-hmm. The ending of it is very cute, um, but it's also, it is a comedy play. Okay. And Peter Carlone, I, I, I keep coming back to him, but he was the standout actor in this, mm-hmm. uh, is a very good comedic actor. He's got a good sense of comic timing. Could you give, like, an example of one? So there's one skit where his character does not feel pain. Okay. Um, <laughs> good and, setup. Uh, there's a point where he's taught he has a list of things he has to be afraid of mm-hmm. uh, informed to him by his brother who very clearly is controlling his entire life uh, and he's talking to a woman while they're doing the laundry and she hits him with an ironing board by accident but he feels no pain mm-hmm. and he has he goes down the list of things he has to be afraid of and he's like 
bears. I, I don't the exact list started with bears, but let me just like, for a fact: bears, fire, guns, mm-hmm. knives, fear, fear itself. Got to be afraid of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like just just the very casual delivery. Um, with that, and also, like, it takes good physical comedy to register being hit in the head. Yep. Uh, I know this because part of it is actually dodging the thing, getting at your head, because you can't... It's easier to block moving something in the full arc rather than arresting it right before it hits you in the head. So that means that the job of the guy isn't the guy swinging the board, it's the guy dodging it, but has to look like he's hit. So it's... Uh, yeah, that's difficult, and props for that. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's why a lot of, like... not I, I did the comparison doesn't really fly in this case but like comedians like buster keaton are still classic because it's just incredible physical ability so doing that even in small gags requires a lot of focus and uh, oftentimes a lot of of, a a decent amount of guts to avoid getting hit Mm -hmm. um but yeah like things like that the the cast was solid but he was a standout again everyone at no point did was there a, a vignette that fell on its face to me like it was it was remarkably in terms of tone, despite the disparate nature of the vignettes, pretty consistent. So that's worth seeing. Honestly, like that one, Seasons would be a great one to take your family to. If you want to bond with your parents, or honestly, this would be a good good show for a date. It really would. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's sort of calm and cozy. And it's you, also supporting local theater, which is great. Yes, and the Pacific, it's, it's a good venue. Again, like just check out the Pacific I like the Pacific venue. It has like a very different style of seating. It's it's a weird stage. It is a legitimately weird stage. It's kind of um, cool, though. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Got props for you in the space the way they do there's also that there's also Oneg, onegin onegin oh yeah onegin we're onegin. gonna see that tonight that's right yeah so I, by the arts club yeah that's gonna be a topic of discussion next week and i'm looking forward to that because mm-hmm. the actual poem eugene onegin i really like <laughs> i i read that uh, a little bit ago and it is um, it eugene onegin i just say eugene onegin mm-hmm. but you know it's it's um I wanted to kind of like talk a little bit about it. This is going to be part of our shout out, but uh, opening night is today. Yeah. If uh, people want to see it, and I'll just kind of give like a bit of a run through when Evgeny Onegin ooh, uh, visits the Larian family estate. His romantic charms stir, uh, stir the passions long forgotten by its residents. Po- uh, poet Vladimir Lensky's romantic ideals are challenged after Onegin flirts with fiance Olga Larin and even the sensible Tatiana Larin. Falls for the... <laughs> I just realized that right now. Falls for the handsome rogue. Onegin's premiere run in the spring of 2016 was really met with critical acclaim. I heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, and uh, the, the lead guy, and that was also the lead guy. I can't remember his name at the top of my head, but he was in mm-hmm. The Day Before Christmas. He's the father. Alexandro Giuliani? I think so. No, he will be uh, He'll be Evgeny Onegin in this one. Like, I am very much... like I'm interested in how that's going to go, because it's... Uh, it, it's a really good story, and it's a story that works bizarrely well when you look at it in light of, say, like both Russian lyric tradition and romantic poetry. <laughs> the thing is, I, I actually had the chance to be in a, um, a, a guest lecture um, writer, the writer and the musical director, Veda Hill. I was actually in a lecture that she um, was um, in. And she talked about the genesis of Onegin and how she created the songs. And it was really cool to see her workshop something. It's a something. musical? Yes, yeah, a musical. It's, uh, to see her workshop something. Groovy. I know. You're going to enjoy it. You love musicals. I do. Yeah, I, was, I love musicals, too. Do you love musicals, Tatiana? Um, to be honest, not really. Well, but I can appreciate, Tati- like, a really good musical. <laughs> well, Tatiana. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. I have to be true to myself. That's yeah. right. We want and we want people to be true to themselves. That's fine. 
But yeah, she she was um, creating it, and then this is before its premiere in 2016, so I'm really excited to uh, get to see it. I really wanted to go see it last time, but unfortunately it was sold out. So people who are interested in seeing it, go get your tickets quick. Yeah, and uh, speak, also speaking of tickets, uh, on this coming uh, Saturday, then second, there is UBC Dance Club's Holiday Ball, which is the Scottish. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, the Scottish Cultural Center, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a bit of a, a trek. Now the tickets are uh, twenty dollars for dance, twenty to twenty-five dollars for dance club members, depending on what time you arrive, and thirty dollars for non-members. It's a great time. The catering uh, last time I went was actually by. The, the other Jake in Dance Club, who is solid caterer, he's a good guy, <laughs> and um, it's 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 a generally gr- good time. If you um if if you've never been to a dance club event before, like it's it's a really warm and accepting atmosphere. If you got if you got two left feet, they'll turn the one of them around, and that'll it, it, you'll generally just it, it's a good time. Mm-hmm. It's especially good for the you know the holidays. It's good for that sense of community. If exams got you stressed out, you know. Take, take, take the weekend, generally. Also, um, we want to talk about, I just want to shout out before we go, Global Party Starters. Uh, Global who we Party Starters. Last year. Yeah, we're going to yeah. have them on our show next. And uh, last last time we covered them was their album, Keep Us On Your Radar. And I think their new album is called uh, called Tonight. We're going to have them on the show next week. So uh, they're, they're alumni, so we want to. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, get that one out there. So uh, next week will actually be my last show um, yeah. for the holidays. It'll be your second last, right? Yep, it will be. But we will be back in January with a lot of a lot of cool more content. Uh, what we recommend is if people are listening in, we might have some cool holiday giveaways. Who knows? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of stuff to do during the holiday season. So keep listening to us, The Arts Report. Yep. And I'm, I, rem- and I remain faithfully yours, Jake Clark. And I'm Ashley Park. And I'm Tatiana. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you guys next week. Cheers.